wish a very pleasant good morning to each one that has chosen to assemble here today to honor our God and to build up one another in our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Appreciate the uh, songs that our brother Stephen has led us in this morning, and especially that last song as it pertains so much to our lesson today. I hope that all of you are thinking about your relationship with God or thinking about your standing before God, and we'll continue to think about those thoughts as we study God's word here together. Last week, I had a, a really good conversation with one of our parents of this congregation uh, concerning some con conversations that he has had recently with his child about becoming a Christian. As we all know, and we are so uh, still joyful and thankful for our young brother David and his decision a couple of weeks ago to come and to follow Jesus Christ, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of his sins and to begin his walk with Jesus Christ I don't know if this young man maybe is thinking more about that uh, now in the last couple of weeks or not, but I think they've been having some conversations on and off for quite some time about being a Christian. And he was asking me for advice of kind of where to go from here. They have talked about uh, several things in the scriptures and wanting to know maybe if his child is ready to make that decision or not. And so I gave him some scriptures for both of them to sit down and to discuss together and gave him some practical advice. But I think the most uh, important thing I could give him, of course, was what God's word says about those matters. And that conversation really serves as a catalyst for our sermon this morning. Because we do have some young people here and maybe even not some not so young people but we do have people in our audience, almost every time we come together, we assemble together to worship our God. We have some people among us who are not Christians, who have not yet made the decision to come and to follow Jesus. And we may have some in the audience, even this morning, wherever they are on the spectrum of life, that may be thinking about being a Christian. And so I want us to think about this particular question, am I ready to be a Christian? And there are, I think, a number of good scriptural, biblical answers that we could give to this particular question. But for the sake of time this morning, we're only going to consider three of these. So this is certainly not every answer that you could give. If you as a parent, maybe your child, you're having conversations with your child, maybe just those of us who are Christians, we may not have uh, children or we may not have children at home anymore. But just as we interact with people in the world around us that are not Christians and they may ask us, they may be interested in how we are living and the things that we are trying to teach them about Jesus Christ. And they may come to a point where they ask us, am I really ready to become a Christian? Am I ready to make that decision in my life? So while this sermon this morning is kind of geared toward our younger people who may not have yet come to that decision or may be thinking about that, I hope that there is something in this study for all of us that we can use to better equip ourselves as we talk to people that are outside the body of Christ and as we try to encourage them to become a Christian, a follower of Christ as we are ourselves. The first answer I want to give to this question, am I ready to be a Christian, is that I know that I am accountable to God. I, I reach a point in my life where I know that I am responsible to my creator. I want you to go, if you have your Bibles, first of all, to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, some 
very famous words of the wise man here as he is closing down the book of Ecclesiastes. As he has looked at life and tried to figure out what life is all about, tried to figure out what his purpose in living here is, as he sees all kinds of evil and injustice being done in his world as we do, of course, in our world today, this is the conclusion that he came to, verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12. He says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every man or some the older version says, because this is the whole of man or this is the duty or the whole duty of man. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Uh, again, as the wise man is concluding his look at life here, as he has taken life and tried to figure out what is important in life, he writes that this is the conclusion that he has come to of all that he has said in this book of Ecclesiastes. Here is what he has concluded or decided that all of us, each one of us, has a duty that we owe to God. That is the duty to revere God, to fear God for who he is, that he is the creator and we are the created. But as we fear God, as we are reverencing him, we also have a duty and obligation to do his will. We have a duty to fear God and to keep his commandments because, as he says, this is the duty of man. This applies to every single person. And that is important because obviously of what he says here in verse 14, that there is coming a time as we have just sung about when we will stand before God in judgment. When, when we will give an account of our life as the wise man says to his ear, that God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Not only is God our creator, but God one day will be our judge through his son Jesus Christ. We read about that in the New Testament. Places like Romans chapter 2. And so because all of us are going to one day stand before him and give an account of the choices, the decisions, the paths that we have taken or not taken in our life, then it is important that we are about our, this business of revering him and doing his will in our life. Since that is true for all of us, the writer instructs here the young, especially at chapter 12 and verse 1, to remember also your creator in the days of your youth. I think he's saying to the young person, just because you're in this stage of life doesn't mean that you're exempt, that God is watching you. As he says back in the end of chapter 11 and verse 9, he's encouraging the young people to rejoice, to enjoy this season of your life. But he says there at chapter 11 and verse 9, let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So he tempers kind of, I think, that statement about enjoying this part of your life because you're not going to live it again. But you need to, even in the days of your youth, remember that God is going to bring you to judgment for all of these things. And so there is a time when all of us become accountable to God. I want to go to the book of, of Romans for just a moment over in the New Testament as we think about this principle of, of knowing that we're accountable to God and why that is important. In Romans chapter 2, just to read the first 11 verses here, Romans 2 beginning at verse 1, Paul's already described the, the wickedness, the uh, depths of ungodliness to which his world has gone back in chapter 1. But I think he's trying to tell those who are Jews and Gentiles that are Christians 
if you're living the same kind of way, you, you don't have an out. You don't have an excuse because we serve an impartial judge, an impartial God. Chapter 2 of Romans, verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. All the things that he's mentioned, all the sins that he's mentioned back in chapter 1. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience and not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds." To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Obviously, the Apostle Paul says a lot in those 11 verses, and we're not going to take the time to go through all of what he says. But what I want you to see, first of all, is, and it may be very obvious, but this text applies to those people who are accountable to God. It applies to people who are able to choose in their life what kind of direction, what kind of path they're going to take, whether they're going to choose God's righteous path or whether they're going to choose the world and Satan's wrong path. It applies, and he's speaking to people who, have the, make the, who can make the decision whether they're going to obey God's truth or whether they're going to disobey it. And for such people, God, the Apostle Paul is reminding them and us that God will accurately, He will fairly, He will impartially judge, again, notice, each person. Whether they are Jew or Greek, He will judge each person and He will judge them fairly and accurately according to His or her deeds. There is a time, I believe, in life where we are not accountable to God because we cannot make our own choices about what we think, about what we say, about what we do. That ought to be very obvious to us, especially those of us who are parents or grandparents, that when a baby is born into this world, that, that baby doesn't have the capacity to make choices about right or wrong. They, they cannot decide for themselves what kind of life they are going to live. I don't believe babies are born in sin, as is kind of common out in the religious world today, that they're not in a state of being responsible before God or accountable before God for their choices, for their actions. The same might be said of even a, a very young child, that they haven't come to that realization yet of what is right and wrong. We can think of people who maybe have some, some kind of a mental illness that their mind, their brain doesn't work as God intended for it to work. Some people maybe that aren't able to reason and they can't read the scriptures and understand them for themselves and even understand who God is or what God expects of them. That I think, I hope that we could say that all of those kinds of people, that they are not accountable to God. However, there does come a time in most everyone's life, if you live what we would consider to be a normal life where you choose, where every one of us chooses 
how we are going to live. And in that particular moment, from that time on, we are all responsible for our choices. Yes, we've all been influenced by things in our life, many things that are out of our control. Maybe, as we spoke of in the nine o'clock hour, maybe our parents weren't Christians. But we cannot blame that particular circumstance and say, well, that doesn't mean I don't have a duty to God, that I don't need to fear Him and obey His commandments. All of us reach a point in our life where we decide how we're going to live, the choices we're going to make, and at that point, we are responsible for those decisions. And I think that these scriptures that we have examined already this morning, at least for myself, imply that we do reach a point in life where we know that we are completely and ultimately answerable to our Creator and our Maker. And so this morning, if you are at that point in your life, I would suggest that you at least need to think about becoming a Christian. You need to think about making the choice to come and follow Jesus Christ. As we continue thinking this morning about this question, am I ready to be a Christian? I would say secondly, in answer to that question, that if you know that you're lost in sin, you at least need to think about becoming a child of God, a follower of Christ. How how do I know that about myself? How are any of us convicted that we have sinned against God, that we are sinners? How can we be convinced that we are lost in a lost spiritual state before God? Well, it is by hearing and understanding God's word and then looking at myself, looking at my heart, looking at my life, looking at the choices and the decisions that I have made and comparing that to what God says in his word. I want us to go to the book of Hebrews as the Hebrews writer talks to us about the word of God, about the power that is in the word of God to do that very thing for us. Hebrews chapter four, beginning at verse 11. Again, this is following the negative example of the Israelites how so many of them, they heard the word preached to them, just like we have the word, the gospel preached to us. But so many of them decided we're not going to listen to that. We're not going to obey that. We're not going to follow that in our life. And the writer says earlier in this chapter, because of disobedience, they did not enter into God's rest. But here is some conclusion he makes to that at verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here is the power of the word of God, just as the Apostle Paul says, as we've looked at here recently from Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it's the power of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to save people's souls to change their standing before God. Here, the Hebrews writer says, the word of God is very powerful. And God's word has the power to judge my thoughts. God's word has the power to judge my motives. Maybe when that is not apparent to someone else, maybe when it's not even really that apparent to myself, maybe I'm deceiving myself, maybe I am fooling myself, but I can come to the word of God if I come with an honest and good heart and it will reveal who I really am and it will reveal why I make the choices and decisions that I make in my life because it's able to judge my thoughts and motives. And so when I read the word of God and I realize that God is talking to me, that yes, maybe the specific book that I'm reading from wasn't addressed to me, but the words that he is saying, the words that I am reading, that they are are addressed to me and that God can see my heart, then I believe that I know, as we just spoke of, that I'm accountable to him with whom I have to do 
that one day again I'm going to stand and I'm going to give an answer for the choices that I've made throughout my life. And if I look into the Word of God and I find that I'm not living according to that Word, that I'm living in sin, then I have to come to the conclusion that I am a sinner and that I am lost. There was obviously some people on the day of Pentecost as Peter and the apostles were preaching what we often refer to as the first gospel sermon and talking to them, making it very personal, very pointed to them that they were responsible for crucifying the Christ, the Son of God, but that God had raised him up from the dead. And we know, Acts chapter 2 at verse 37, but let's read it again. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter's words concerning Jesus Christ and their role in his death, their role in crucifying Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Luke tells us here that those words that Peter was speaking, that they pierced or they pricked, they cut the heart. I think it's really the idea that it it got to them. It bothered their conscience so that they came to the conclusion, we need to do something about this. They knew at that particular point, They were sinners. They knew that they had sinned against their great God, but also they knew they needed to do something in order to make it right. Men and brethren, what shall we do in order to be saved, in order to be right with God once again? And so they came to that point in their life that they knew that they were lost in sin. Of course, Peter gives them the remedy to repent and to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Think about an example from the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about Joseph in Philip's uh, adult class this morning in the back. But he is such a great example in, in so many different ways. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9, I think we all are familiar with what's going on here about Potiphar's wife and trying to uh, tempt him in a sexual way. Notice what is said at Genesis 39 and verse 7, that it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all that he owed in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Listen, to the real reason why Joseph gives as to why he could not give into the temptation and sin, he said, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? I don't know exactly how old Joseph is at this particular point. We know back in chapter 37 that he was 17 years old when his brothers became jealous and they threw him into the pit and sold him into Egyptian slavery. Uh, We know, I think it's from chapter 41, that he was 30 years old when he kind of became the second in command of Egypt and distributing all their resources. Uh, We know from the, uh, I think it's the end of uh, either chapter 39 or 40, maybe it is, that he had spent at least two years in prison. So he's somewhere, somewhere between 17 and 28 years old. I guess I've kind of in my mind always thought of him being more toward the, the earlier part of his life, maybe still being a teenager. But even if he is a teenager or a young man in his early 20s away from home, he knows at this particular point that he is accountable to God. It's not just the fact that, hey, Potiphar may find out about what's going on here and I may lose my job, I may lose my life, but his chief concern is I might sin against my great God if I give in to this particular temptation. He had reached a point that he knew 
for certain that he was accountable to his great God. As we think about children, especially our young children, you know, they may know that they have broken their parents' rules. They may know that they have done something that their teacher has told them not to do. They may know that they have disappointed their parents or someone that is in authority over them, but they may not know, especially at that very young age, that they have sinned against God, that they may not feel the guilt or the shame of sin. They may not have the knowledge that they stand condemned before Him. But we find examples all through the Scriptures of people at all different stages of life that did come to that realization. And again, at some point, all of us grow out of childhood, don't we? And all of us begin to realize that we've not only done something wrong against others, but more importantly, we have done something wrong against our Creator. I believe that's exactly where David was when you come to Psalm 51. Certainly he had sinned against Bathsheba. Certainly he had sinned against Uriah. But his chief concern is he says there, I have sinned against you. He was concerned that he had sinned against his great God. And all of us reach the point in our life where we realize that we're lost in sin if we do not come and follow Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're at that point, again, you at least need to think about becoming a child of God. But the third answer I would give to this question, am I ready to become a Christian, is I'm ready if I am ready to commit myself to following Jesus. This is exactly what he demands in order to, for us to become a Christian. We can reach a point in our life, and as I've tried to stress to you this morning, I think all of us, if we live long enough, reach this point where we know we're responsible to God. It doesn't really matter what our parents have said or not said. It doesn't matter what the teacher has said or not said. It matters most of all to us what God has said because that's who we will answer to. And we may come to a point in our life where we realize because we're accountable to God and because God has given us a standard whereby we are to live our lives that we're lost in sin. We're not living a life that's pleasing to God. And yet, for whatever reason, we may not be ready to commit ourselves completely to Christ. But that is what Christ demands of us. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells us about the demands of discipleship here this is what it must mean for us if we're going to come and follow him every day of our life. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, beginning. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so if you are thinking this morning, if you have been thinking about becoming a Christian, or maybe you haven't been thinking about it, but this lesson has started you down that road of thinking about following Christ, I would ask you these questions. Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you able to do what Jesus says here in these few verses? Are you at a point in your life where you are willing and able where you are ready, you're prepared to deny yourself every day, to take up your cross daily just as He took up your, His cross for you and me, and to follow Him, to not follow the world, to not follow your own thinking, but to follow what Jesus has said and what He has done. Are you ready, willing, and able to lose your life for His sake? 
knowing that that means you're going to lose a lot of things that your friends and your family and other people who aren't following Christ that they seem to enjoy in this life. But are you willing to lose all of that, really lose the world that is here in order to gain Jesus Christ and to gain eternal life with Him? You see, you have to be at a point where you're really willing and ready and able to commit yourself to following him for the rest of your life. Another one of these commitment passages is found in this same gospel in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. Luke says, Now large crowds were going along with him, with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt, if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, you have to ask yourself some question. Am I ready? Am I able Am I willing to count the cost of discipleship and still come to the conclusion that there is no other option for me, that I must make the decision that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ? Certainly other people in our life can help us come to that decision. That's that's why we have the church that belongs to Christ, that we can help one another. That's why children have parents. But no one can make that decision for you. You have to come to the conclusion that you must follow Jesus Christ. Whatever it means that you must give up in your life, whatever sacrifice you must make, that it is certainly more than worth it to come and to commit yourself to following Him. Jesus Christ does not want any half-hearted followers. And so just like He demands that we deny ourselves, that we take up our cross daily and follow Him, He also demands that we fully commit ourselves to Him, that we give our whole person in service and in loyalty to Him. One question I I like to ask of anyone that I may study the gospel with that is not a Christian that is either thinking about that or not, or even someone that I have studied with that I baptize into Christ, or maybe even someone I haven't studied with, but I just baptize them into Christ. I like to ask them the question, why? Because I think that is so important. Why do you want to become a Christian? Why do you want to be baptized into Jesus Christ? And one thing that I discuss with anyone is the realization that they are committing themselves to Christ forever. They are committing themselves to Christ forever. This is a relationship that begins now in this life, but it continues on into eternity. Because I don't want someone to say that, well, I just became a Christian or I was just baptized 
because I wanted to please my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my husband or my wife or my parents or my children or the people that I go to church with or whatever the answer to that question is. I want them to know why they are doing that. You know, knowing when I am ready to commit myself to Christ, I think is very similar to knowing when I am ready to commit myself to a potential spouse and marriage. There might be a lot of people as you're dating someone or you have a relationship with someone, you're trying to get to know them. Might be a lot of people in your life that give you all kinds of advice and all kinds of counsel and telling you, why don't you ask that girl to marry you and all kinds of things like that. But you have to come to the conclusion yourself. You have to know this is that the person and the time and the reasons are right for being married. And when you know that, it really doesn't matter what anybody else says because you have made up your mind. You have come to the conclusion that this is what you must do. When we commit ourselves to another person in marriage, we realize that it is a commitment, or at least we should. That's kind of fallen by the wayside, I think, in our time and in our culture. But when we realize we have made a commitment to that other person for the rest of our lives, we don't know exactly all of what that commitment is going to cost us. We we don't know where that journey where that other person is going to take us five or 10 or 15 or 50 or 60 years down the road. And so it is very similar with committing ourselves to Jesus Christ. None of us, those of us who are Christians, none of us knew at that particular point what it was going to cost us in specific terms. But we all knew if we truly were joining ourselves to Jesus Christ to follow Him, we all knew that it was going to cost us something, that it was going to cost us our very lives in loyalty and service to Him. There will be times when, if you make a decision to become a Christian, there will be times in your walk with Jesus Christ when you will fail to keep your commitment. And I try to tell people that, that I study with, or before I baptize them into Christ, that we're not going to perfectly keep our commitment. There will be times when we go back on our word. There will be times that we don't do things that we told Jesus that we would do. There will be times when we don't follow his word, when we follow our own selfish ways. But aren't we thankful that there is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness with our God. And we can confess those faults and sins to him and he is faithful and merciful to forgive us of our sins. If you're at a point this morning where you are ready to commit yourself, your whole self, to the will and the reign of Jesus Christ in your life, then I would suggest to you that you need to become a Christian. Don't put that off any longer. Am I ready to be a Christian? I think it's a great question. But it's a question that only you can answer. I can't answer this question for you. And sometimes maybe we wish like, We wish that somebody else could answer this question for us. But it is an individual thing that you have to think about yourself. You have to honestly examine yourself and examine your heart. And then you have to compare that to the Word of God. If you have been thinking about that question and you have come to the conclusion that you are ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we will be ready, we will be be happy to assist you in that this morning that you can come to the front and let those wishes be made known. But I would say to you, if you have come to that conclusion today, don't say, well, I'll put that off till next Sunday 
or I'll wait till next month, or I'll wait till the year changes to 2024, or I'll wait till things in my life are better. If you know that you need to be a Christian this morning, don't put that off any longer. We would encourage you, we would urge you to come and to begin your walk with Jesus Christ. If you need to do that very thing right now, won't you come and let that request be made known as we stand and as we sing.